What determines aging? What are the most effective methods to prevent skin photoaging? What does the future hold? Welcome to the EDB podcast. In today's episode, Professor Chris Griffith and Professor Johannes Ring explore the mechanisms that underlie aging and discuss the first signs and manifestations. They delve into various factors contributing to skin aging, including genes, healthcare, and the environment. The discussion also covers preventive measures, such as using sun cream, practicing calorie restriction, and intermittent fasting to help delay aging. Tune in to gain valuable insights on how to maintain a healthy and useful looking skin. But before we dive into this topic... Get ready to experience cutting-edge science and innovation in dermatology and venerology at the upcoming EADV Congress in Berlin from the 11th to the 14th of October 2023. The Congress is one of the largest international gatherings dedicated to dermatology and venerology, providing a platform for the brightest minds in research, clinicians and top industry professionals to come together, make connections and foster scientific collaboration. The diverse interactive program covering the full A to Z of hot topics also includes innovative hands-on workshops, subspecialty sessions and industry sessions. The exhibition hall will provide opportunities for delegates to explore the latest technologies, treatments and products in the field to date. The wait is over. Tickets to attend the Congress on-site in Berlin are on sale now. Be sure to check out eadvcongress2023.org for more information. Professor Chris Griffith is a highly respected dermatologist who received his training in London and Michigan. He is currently the Chief of Dermatology Department at the University of Manchester and has served as a board member or president of various organizations, including the British Association ESDR EDF International. Professor Griffith is the editor of the British Bible of Dermatology and Brooks Textbook. And now the floor goes to the professors. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this EADV podcast on biology of skin aging and beyond. What can we do? Can we prevent it? And we have an expert here, Professor Chris Griffiths. He was until recently chief at the dermatology department at the University of Manchester. He got his training in London, in Michigan, in the United States. And since 2005, he's in Manchester. He has been active in many societies, board member or president of British Association, ESDR, EDF, International League of Dermatological Societies. He also did humanitarian activities um, in the Syrian refugee camp and in Bangladesh. He is editor of the British Bible in Dermatology, Rook's textbook, got many awards and honorary lectures. Hirsch Index 112, the third most cited dermatologist in the world. And his research focuses psoriasis and aging. And we are very happy, Chris, that you devote this time to this activity. And now I would like to ask you what brought you to study aging? Well, thank you, Johannes. First of all, just say it's a real pleasure to share this conversation with you. And um, yeah, I guess that um, a lot of people know me from my work on psoriasis, but my research on aging began when I was, when I was a uh, junior faculty member at the University of Michigan, working with John Voorhees. And like a lot of things in life, it's being in the right place at the right time. And at that time in Michigan, as you may know, they were taking forward the use of topical retinoids, tretinoin for 
the management of um, photo aging and of course the results were quite remarkable and I got involved there with working on the sort of understanding the mechanisms that underlay both photo aging and also the effects of topical retinoids and when I moved back to the UK from Michigan all those years ago I felt that one of my key areas of research should be to take forward further understanding of photo aging and now increasingly intrinsic aging or chronological aging. Well, so we are happy to have you here. And I think we should start with aging in general. Everybody talks about the demographics, the people grow older and older, but this is populations. Is there also a change in the individual lifespan? How old can a human being become? Well, yeah, there's, there's two questions there, really. I mean, one is that, yeah, I mean, the population of the world being 8 billion at the moment is es estimated that about a, a billion people are over the age of 60. Now, of course, both you and I would like aging to be defined at a much higher level than 60, but uh, that's what we're stuck with. But uh, in, the, in the developed world, about 25% of the people in the developed world are over the age of 60. So there's a, there's a population global problem there. And that is in part because we're living longer, you know, because of better health care, better public health, particularly. A lot of diseases have been eradicated. Diets are better as a general rule. And um, the, over, the, over the last hundred years, the longevity of the individuals has in, is improved. But there's still a disparity between the developed world and, the, uh, and lower middle income countries as far as longevity is concerned. But the longest recorded, the sort of longest lived individual was a woman from France who died at the age of 122. And as a general rule, women do have a longer lifespan than men. Well, I read an article by a geneticist who told that this difference between men and women of about maybe seven or eight years in total lifespan um, disappears when you start with 70. So when men have reached the age of 70, they have the same lifespan. And he concluded that's the testosterone. When the testosterone is gone, <laughs> this uh, makes you live a bit longer. But what do you say to this hypothesis? Well, that's partly true. Of course, men tend to have a higher rate of death from um, accidents, of course. And um, yes, that, 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 that feeds into it. But uh, yeah, I think if you get to the age of 70, your chances of getting to over the age of 90 are, are significantly in, in, increased. And I think nonagenarians, people over the age of 90, are fairly common nowadays. You know, people can expect in the developed world to get to you know, high 80s, 90 nowadays. But I guess what we're going to talk about is not how long you live, it's, it's having that, um, how long you have a healthy life. That's, I think, that's a very good point you're making. And in order to understand or do something, we should know the mechanism. So what is your, um, what are the most important factors in the aging process? Well, I think if you think of the aging process as being uh, similar to health in general, I think um, genes play a big role, of course, but you know, and we can't do much about that. Uh, but there is good evidence that if uh, one or both of you, your parents have lived to the age of, over the age of 90, you have a very good chance of doing so as well. So genes play an important role. Second is um, health care does play a role, as we've just mentioned. 
But thirdly, and I think this is you know, probably the area that we can make the biggest difference, is around um, environment and what people can do to help themselves. So that's everything from diet to um, exercise and other things that we'll discuss. So there are a lot of factors in play here, uh, both endogenous and exogenous. Um, among the environmental influences, of course, we dermatologists uh, always stress the effect of the sun and UV light. And uh, are there any news in this respect? Well, I guess, you know, if you think of, you know, so there's extrinsic aging and there's intrinsic aging and the latter intrinsic aging or the aging that occurs due to the passage of time is where we're all that that's happening to all of us it's happening to us as we speak to each other right now and uh but there are other factors which are exogenous which affect the skin which make it look older and of course the the, the one as you've just highlighted is um sun exposure no mm -hmm. doubt that people who've had a lot of sun exposure have more wrinkles, have actinic lentigenes, which sometimes people call age spots, people who smoke, uh, people who are exposed to pollution, other factors do cause um, premature um, appearances of aging. But of course, what we're interested in is, you know, is just trying to differentiate between the appearance, which of course is what dermatologists get asked about all the time. And there's a huge industry in aesthetics and cosmetics. But what we're interested in is the mechanisms mechanisms that underlie aging itself. And I think the skin is a great model to be able to study that. So when when does this aging process really start? Or the immunologist always used to say the thymus gland uh, starts to become atrophic at 17 years of age already. So when do we find the first signs of aging in the skin? Well, it's actually quite hard to find the ages, uh, effects of the um, the uh, um, manifestations of aging in the skin until one gets really quite old. Um, the skin is remarkably resilient, in fact. But I think that if you're looking at the changes in the immune function of the skin, and you know we know that from looking at Langerhans cell function, for instance, that starts to decline after the age of sixty. Yes. Okay. But uh, so I think it's 60 when things, and that's of course, there's obviously a lot, a strong hormonal drive to skin physiology. So, you know, in, for men and, and for women, so there's the menopause, which, you know, of course it affects, you know, obviously in women and men, it's, a, it's a, a slower taper down, but it's still the loss of testosterone. And of course, there are other hormones which have effects on skin physiology. Everybody talks about the role of telomeres. Is this yeah. still an attractive thought, telomere shortening? Yes, yeah, um, that's still, a, that's still a, a viable hypothesis, is that telomere shortening, so you know, um, the effects on telomerase, so people with shortened telomerase, uh, telomeres have, you know, that's a manifestation of you know, a shorter lifespan. And certainly there are factors such as stress, for instance, there's been some nice studies showing that stress and stressful life events can shorten life, probably because it's affecting telomeres. Inflammation seems to be a very critical factor. And I think, was it you or I heard it from you first time, inflammaging this yeah. word. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, the term inflammaging was um, actually first coined by an Italian um, scientist called Franceschi. And he published this in the Annals of New York Academy of Sciences about um, 20, 20 something years ago. 
and that he wasn't looking necessarily at the skin but he made the comment that aging in many organs seems to have uh, a, a confluence of inflammation of various kinds and so he, he coined this term inflammaging which i think is is highly relevant to the skin i think we do know that in the skin and other organs there is evidence histologically and through immune function of uh, an inflammatory events in the skin so you know there's an increased numbers of particularly um T cells of the uh, TH2 classification, so it's so a TH2 driven response. And also there's an increased number of mast cells and the association of mast cells and macrophages. So there's quite a lot going on in the skin as a consequence, well, associated, shall we say, with aging. The, the key question, like in a lot of science, is what is, you know, which is which is driving which? Is it the inflammation that's making the making the aging progress faster? Or is it just a consequence of aging? And I think there's some interesting research that could be applied to that using medicines that we already are familiar with in management of inflammatory skin disease. You mentioned the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic aging. So just the factor of time. What what happens by this? What does time do without some? Well, time, yeah, well, time is no friend of ours, really. I think that uh, oh, there's this constant repair and renewal process. And with time, that matching of the repair to the, of the um, repair and renewal to the damage starts to starts to be a mismatch. So you start to produce or start to have various um, abnormalities in skin structure, in the structure of other organs which means that it's not functioning as efficiently as it was when you were maybe 20 years old. Well, this is uh, this remarkable phenomenon, which we uh, like to show to our students when we discuss this. How can you evaluate? Simple, ask the person to lift the arm and under the axilla, you will see the time effect where the, the sun is not really coming to. And another thing we recently had, uh, Christian Posch published in our journal, this 92-year-old lady who applied the sun cream to her face. She was told to apply it to the face, but she only applied it to the face and not to the neck. And so the lot of photo aging was to be seen on the neck, but the face, facial skin was nice and clean. Well, that's a yeah. Well, I mean, there's some very dramatic um, photographic evidence of this sort of thing. When I was in Michigan, you know, when we were doing the original work on topical retinoids for photo aging, a medical student who was working with me at that time, a guy called Rob Singer, made the observation when he was working with me. He said, "I think some of these men we're seeing, particularly, have an asymmetry of their sun damage, more wrinkles and brown spots on one side of the face than the other." And we thought that this might be um, more so on the left side of the face. Um, which could be associated with being the driving and the wind, the, the UVA particularly coming through window glass. So the way to test the hypothesis is that we um, set up a series of um, lectures with uh, truck drivers, Teamster Union members in Detroit. And as part of, them, <laughs> part of the lecture, we'd do a skin examination afterwards. And sure enough, they had more sun damage on the left side of yes. their face than they did on the right. 
And that the similar study was done in Australia where in, they drive on the same side of the roads as the UK and it was more on the right side. And there's been some very dramatic boat photographs of this. Um, there's a picture in the New England Journal of Medicine a few years ago of, of a truck driver who manifested this really quite remarkably. So yes, um, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. There's that sun exposure and particularly UVA does cause a lot of the damage. Because usually we tend to say UVA is good, UVB is bad. That's not not the truth anymore. No, no, no. So let's come to what to do. So uh, the phenomenon is there. We know a little bit or something about the mechanisms. What can we do to prevent it first or to treat it when it's there? Yeah, so I think it's important at this point to sort of try and separate the photoaging that we've just been talking about, where, of course, you know, the obvious answer there is to um, avoid excessive sun exposure, uh, maybe using sunscreens, you know, with the, with the caveat that, of course, sun is, is beneficial. You know, we do know the sun has a lot of positive effects on, 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 the, on, the, on physiology, such as everything from vitamin D production in the skin through to maybe effects on uh, cardiovascular system due to release of nitric oxide, um, due to um, release of endorphins as well. So there's a lot of positive things. It's a matter of like everything in life, doing it in moderation. But so sun exposure, sunscreens were, were probably the best way of preventing or reducing um, the signs of photo aging, but the key is what we can we do about aging itself. And I do think there are things that, that can be done. There's an there's a what's happened nowadays, of course, is some ver as very rich men, predominantly men in the world, are getting older, such as Jeff Bezos and um, um, Elon Musk. They they want to stay young, and they have a lot of money to invest in this area. Okay. And so there are literally billions of pounds being invested by high net worth individuals in biotech companies devoted to trying to understand aging. And there is some good work coming out of this. And we know that there are certain things that one can do to help themselves. And we're talking about health span as well as lifespan. Um, calorie restriction, definitely, in okay. everything from nematodes through to monkeys through to humans, prolongs life. There's no doubt well, about that. It's not that. very popular, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's effective. Well, it's effective, <laughs> yeah. Say there's a, there's a, a easier approach by intermediate fasting that you don't yeah. have to fast the whole month or so. Well, no, you're absolutely right. So I'm quite an advocate of that. Um, you know, there's sort of um, uh, intermittent fasting. That could be... Um, you know, just fasting on two days out of five, or it could be having a time-based fasting. I think the time-based fasting, which is when one uh, doesn't take on board any um, carbohydrates or any, any food, just sort of maybe black coffee or water, but maybe between 16 and 18 hours a day. Now, that's more than calorie restriction, Johannes, because the um, fasting part of this is when, of course, as you know from your... Um, biochemistry is that the, the body then stops metabolizing um, uh, carbohydrate, glycogen, and goes to glycerol. And it breaks down to free fatty acids and then ketone bodies. And ketone bodies are anti-inflammatory, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier with inflammaging. And there's some good evidence now um, coming um, from uh, various studies which have shown that uh, the fasting components of that may well be beneficial to prolonging health span because effects on the immune 
you know, the immune response and also on stem cell mobilization. So intermittent fasting has quite a strong following. There's some big studies taking place in the United States now to ascertain the benefits of um, in intermittent fasting, not just on aging, but on maybe prevention of inflammatory disease. Well, you mentioned stem cells, so as uh, the source of maybe eternal youth and some times ago, already rich men call, got fresh cell therapy or injection of embryonic cells. Uh, now we hear something coming from Japan by the Dr. Yamanaka. Uh, what What is your opinion to these new approaches regarding stem cells and derivatives? Well, Yamanaka, Professor Yamanaka, of course, won the Nobel Prize for his um, development of uh, induced pluripotential stem cells and the so-called Yamanaka factors. And there was a study published um, at the beginning of this year, 2023, which was using um, a gene-modified mouse, uh, which had, um, had incorporated into uh, three of these Yamanaka factors. And what was shown quite remarkably was that these mice, these genetically modified mice compared with the wild type, lived about twice as long, twice as long. And importantly, not just had longevity, but their frailty was less than one would have expected in a mouse half that age. So there may be, obviously there's a lot of work to be done on this, and this was in mice, there may be uh, some opportunity there to really get to the root of what produces a health span. Well, this sounds very exciting. It would not only be prevention, but maybe even treatment of already aged uh, skin. It could or, be. I think the thing is, though, like all of this in life, it's a matter of starting early. You know, trying to prevent things is going to be more effective than trying to reverse things that have already happened, particularly with the aging process. Well, I'm a practical man, and all those stem cells and fasting, I really don't like. I would like <laughs> to have a pill. Tell yes, me, give course. me a drug I swallow once a day and makes me live longer. Is there anything pharmacological? Well, there's a lot of work on this as well, of course. Um, and uh, another big study in the United States that's taken, well, I guess just to back up a little bit. So there's autophagy, which is, of course, as you know, is when there's sort of simplistic form, simplistic um, way of describing it is when the body sort of um, cellular system sort of spring cleans every every day, in fact, given the opportunity. And there's there are various things that we can do to stimulate autophagy. Two of them we've just discussed. Calorie restriction helps. Intermittent fasting helps. More sleep also helps. There's a lot of positive things happening whilst we're sleeping. And also moderate exercise. Um, you know, that's not running marathons, but moderate exercise every day also helps the autophagy process. But people are looking now for drugs which actually stimulate autophagy. And there's a sort of whole class of drugs now being developed called senolytics. But a couple in that sort of area, ones which you and I are familiar with, one is metformin, which has been used for many years to treat um, particularly type 2 diabetes. There seems there's a big study in the United States looking at the effects of metformin on aging and um, other um, and frailty. And also rapamycin, which has been shown certainly in nematodes and mice to actually have a beneficial effect on prolonging life and prolonging health span. Um, so there's a lot of interest in this area and mice which have been genetically modified um, to, well 
there are senescence produces um, senescence associated secretory phenotype or senescence associated secretory proteins and these are detrimental to life to long life and um so these so-called secretory proteins can be down regulated or or prevented by a number of different approaches everything from autophagy to um to uh drugs such as rapamycin the rapamycin might have some side effects so yeah of maybe, course. maybe it would be good to come up with milder treatments in this direction and metformin i think that sounds quite good many many people take it and it's good news mm -hmm. for them mm -hmm. so there's a big so there's a big study looking at metformin to see whether that really is beneficial i, I have a feeling it might be we are we could talk for hours but we should spend a couple of minutes on the public health and the health political aspects so especially in dermatology people say well um, this is not a disease this is just normal and therefore insurance doesn't have to pay and it's only cosmetics so what is your opinion towards treating photo aging and trying to help people well that's a very good point and i think that um um professor kotner um who works at the charity hospital in in berlin is taking forward a project on behalf of the international league of dermatological societies which is a, a systematic review and analysis of you know the provision of um screening and diagnosis of skin disease in the in the elderly population in the community so and as you know a lot of people and the elderly people are in residential homes and nursing homes and part of their general maintenance or screening does not include skin disease but a lot of these people when you ask them what troubles them most is that they you know they look around the room and they feel that they're sitting amongst a room of of old people they don't like being felt of being treated as being old they don't like looking old and i think that we need to bear this understand the psychological aspects of being a being old or looking old in a very youth orientated society well but i think it's not only psychology i like our friend jean hilaire soras terminology he calls it dermatoporosis yeah. an analogy to osteoporosis everybody is impressed what a difficult problem and serious osteoporosis but in the skin they say just skin aging and You're absolutely right. I mean, it's a very nice analogy. You know, dermatoporosis. I've used that term myself many times. And you know, if you look at someone with aged skin, it is going to have that. It's got that loss of um, high, of higher hyaluronic acid, which is something that John Hilaire worked on quite extensively. And uh, the skin is much more fragile. It's much itchier. It doesn't. It doesn't. It it heals more slowly all of those things and i think people and that's something we need to understand what are the mechanisms that play there and can we prevent that happening so and also i think you know skin health is very closely aligned to overall health and just as an aside you know we talked about nonagenarians uh, johannes and there's a study from leiden where they've been following up you know not the nonagenarians themselves but their offspring their sons and daughters and the comparator group are these spouses of those sons and daughters who come from a you know, similar um, economic class and what they found very interestingly and i'll just talk about this what they found in women but um they did a whole you know taking photographs of lots of these people 
and then morphing them together and then getting an expert panel to say how old they were. And the one, the offspring of the nonagenarians look younger than their stated age by about eight or nine years. Whilst the one, the offspring, uh, of, uh, whilst the control cohort look about the, the age that they say they are, or they are. But importantly, for the systemic health, the blood pressure, particularly in women, the systolic blood pressure for the offspring of the nonagenarians who look younger for their age was much lower, about 120, that's the systolic blood pressure, compared with 150 for the people who look older than their stated age. So there is a correlation, and there's some work done in Japan that shows increased risk of atheroma in people who look, look older than their stated age. Well, uh, at the WHO level, I think um, sometimes one has the feeling that the skin is forgotten. They talk about many, many, every disease is serious, but uh, sometimes skin is not taken seriously enough, I think. Well, you're right, because when the WHO came out with their report on aging or going to the draft, and Wolfram Sterry, who at that time, as you know, was president of the ILDS back in 2016, he, um, well, just before that, actually, he had been a strong advocate for the WHO um, taking skin disease more more seriously and aging particularly. And then the first draft of that report, skin wasn't even mentioned. Mm. Luckily, we managed to get a chapter on skin, which then sort of raised the profile. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right, is that uh, the WHO and others need to understand the importance of skin and skin disease and how that does relate to aging, the aging process. So there is a lot of work ahead of us, both in research, in the clinical routine, in treating our patients. And one last question. So five years from now, how do you see? What are your um, ideas, your visions? What could come in five to ten years? Well, I think in five to ten years' time, I'd what I'd like to see would be, there be a concerted effort on research on skin aging. Not the cosmetic side, but on the understanding the mechanisms that drive skin aging and making research on skin aging as, um, as, a, as acceptable as other areas. When I came back from Michigan all those years ago, I thought there'd be a lot of people working on skin aging. It's still pretty much the same people doing that work as there were 25 years ago, which is quite remarkable. But the other thing that I think that we'll see in five to 10 years time, Johanna, is that you and I will be looking even younger than we do now. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds good. <laughs> Professor yes. Griffiths, dear Chris, thank you so much for being with us. I think we have learned a lot in this half hour. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation. Before you go, a quick favor. If you're a regular listener of our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback will help us improve the show and develop episodes that you are interested in hearing. To participate in this short survey, simply follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.